0: I'm sorry, but what the fuck was that? (laughs) I mean, I don't know how someone who's not really familiar with Studio Ghibli films would have felt about Earwig and the Witch. I don't have the benefit of that lack of experience, I guess. I've watched pretty much everything from that company. As much as people like to tease me and say, oh, you just hate anime. I clearly don't because I've watched anything Miyazaki or his kin have set their pens to and loved them. But this was like if someone had watched a few like on a bender and they're like, no, no, I get it. I get it. We can whip this out real fast and decided to make their own version of a Miyazaki film.
1: This had serious N64 platformer cutscene vibes.
0: <laughs> yes, it did. Oh, my God. That's exactly
2: Does it. it have disgusting sludge? Are there witches? Is there a talking cat? <laughs> I think the only thing that was different was we had a sassy child instead of a demure, shy child that eventually comes out of their shell. And this is
0: not directed or created by Hayao Miyazaki, who I presume was in some way involved on an executive production level. I I can't remember. He was credited with something on here.
3: It was either coordinator or something like that.
0: But it's directed by his son, Goro, based on a novel, the same name by Diana Wynne Jones. This was originally made for Japanese TV. So, And I was confused about this. I thought this was an official feature film release. And that's how they've been treating it here with HBO Max, who's the one who got to debut it here. But it is not. it is a TV film and it also is marketed by being the first ever effort in CG by Studio Ghibli, which people were understandably very nervous for because this company is really known for their, amongst other things, but for their just gorgeous, painstakingly drawn, hand-drawn animations. And right off the bat, this is like the Lego movie of, st- <laughs> of Studio Ghibli things. Everything is made of plastic, but that's my opinion. Let's talk to our other critics here. Joining me is Matt. Hello. Tessa. Hello. And Robert. Good day, everyone. (laughs) Ooh, so (laughs) formal.
1: One day we'll do a review where everybody harmonizes the hellos.
3: I was doing the impression of my Casey Musgraves
1: accent that we heard
3: in the movie.
0: This is indeed available here. And I couldn't find any way in HBO to watch the Japanese dub of it, which is obviously the correct one to watch, even though they got some big names to come in and voice the characters here. But I'll tell you the lip syncing, not being synced at all. And even at points where characters were like talking clearly and there was mm-hmm. no audio attached to it. I was like, what the fuck? I
2: both.
1: It's it's hard to sync Japanese to English though. There's a syllabic efficiency problem where it'll it'll be like several syllables of Japanese and then the then the translation will be like no.
0: <laughs> but that's what i'm saying is like i couldn't find it on hbo I, how did you see it tessa the japanese version
2: where it said english you just went over and selected oh it didn't offer me the option on
0: mine
3: you can't do it from the play screen you have to do it from the title screen before you hit play
0: oh okay mm-hmm. see because i was once it was playing i tried to switch it that's what it was
3: tessa and our group say that she was gonna rewatch it in japanese so i started it in japanese And about 15 minutes in, i just switched it because i it didn't really make a difference it, it was was the same. I was interested because I've never seen any of the Ghibli movies in in the English dub. I've always been lucky to catch it in theaters and the stuff I've been able to pick up to watch the original version. So I thought, "Oh, well, you know, maybe it's set in England, but you know, we've got a Japanese production. You get a look when the characters are speaking directly to camera that it's made to just mix with all the different audio maybe they're gonna put over it
0: you know once Miyazaki broke here which was with Princess Mononoke they spent a lot of money on a huge cast getting Neil Gaiman to rewrite the script for the American version translation and it was actually quite good like that's one of the few examples of like a dub I'm like the dub is about as good as the Japanese version there yeah and Spirited Away also has an excellent dub that they spent a lot of time and money on but generally speaking yeah I'm gonna watch the original Japanese version of things but let's talk about the plot here in England we see this witch with crazy red hair, after a bit of a car chase that involves magic somehow, it's unclear, and wormy things, leaves her child at a orphanage, or child earwig, it's just a literally an infant at this point, but He's brought in by the matron. who's like, no, no, no earwig. We're not going to let a kid go around with earwig. We're, we're going to change their name. What, what was it? It was
1: Erica wig.
0: Yeah. Erica wig. So she grows up in this place and she's kind of a precocious child. And she's definitely sort of King of the children. She says, jump. And the other kids say how high, because they know whatever it is she's asking them to jump for will be fun.
1: She doesn't want to get adopted. She actually likes living in the orphanage. She's sort of the uh, artful Dodger of the orphanage. and doesn't want to have to go the trouble of rigging up a new place. And I, I I, I liked that subversion. And I kind of I like the Erica Earwig character where she's sort of this imperious girl that's often the foil in this kind of movie. And we see it from her POV.
0: So she's got real power in that situation and she's comfortable and she likes the matron who's totally taken in by her like, you know, no, no, I'm nothing but sweetness. And in her way, she is, I suppose. But she ends up getting adopted against her will by two characters who come in, Bella Yaga and Mandrake, voiced by Vanessa Marshall and Richard E. Grant. Bella Yaga is a short, stout, crazy blue-haired witch, and Mandrake is a super tall, pointy-eared, I don't know what. (laughs) He's like, they never make really clear. I assume he's some sort of warlock who's insanely powered, but he comes across like kind of a demon who wants to be left alone. Bella Yaga tells Earwig, look, you are here to work for me? And Irwig is under the mistaken impression that she'll work, but also that Belayaga will teach her how to do magic, which is as far as Beliaga concerned, not what's gonna happen. So most of this movie is Irwig slowly sort of figuring out her game to learn magic regardless of what Belayaga thinks, and skirt around the rules. And there's not really a plot. You'd think there's a plot because Mm. it starts with a sort of, oh, well, this her mother, the witch, is on the run from a coven of witches that she's escaping from. And then there's like little mentions here they were in a band, like all the witches together, a rock band, which is one of the weirdest moments in this whole film where you're like,
2: wait, what? Well, not all the witches, just those... No, no, the the witches, the characters. Three, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's that coven.
1: It drove me nuts because the flashbacks to them being in the band are the best sequences in the movie.
3: They're also the linchpin of the trailer, which was interesting to find out that that's not where we were taking the movie. No. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, it doesn't go there.
1: Yeah, the heart of the movie is that these two old magic users are burnt out and cynical. And it is the typical sort of she slowly wins them over plot. And and she discovers that they were in this band with this woman who we know is her mother. And we see her sort of start to suspect that this is the case. And clearly, Bella Yaga is one's red and one's blue, but they have the same sort of... they're. Most likely sisters, right? It's very likely that Yaga is her biological aunt and will, her heart will grow three sizes when, the, when they all get this straightened out.
2: So is Mandrake her dad? Because in one of the flashbacks, her mom like winked at him or was trying to kiss on him or something. Like. You
0: definitely see that there was a romantic connection between her mom and Mandrake, who, like I said, looks basically like a demon, uh, even though in the past flashbacks, he just looks like any given keyboard player from a psychedelic band.
1: His human form is very basic. Based on um, Ray... Ray Eric from The Doors? Guy from The Doors. Clearly, some writer has an interesting version of this in their heads, but the issue here is camera placement. Erica slash Earwig just doesn't see the story, and through her lens, the audience does not see it, in the runtime of this movie. I don't want to spoil it, but it felt like a pilot. It
0: totally felt like a pilot, because they never actually address most of the questions that are set up for the plot. They're just like, yeah, and that was a thing that happened. And it ends on a sort of, and then the plot started. Yeah, If it was a pilot, I'd watch
1: a couple more.
3: I was slightly surprised that it's essentially a TV production, but it seemed like this was a TV show, but we saw all of the stuff that got cut out of the final episode also. <laughs> because there's so much repetitive dialogue and repetitive shots, and we talked about how the characters are set up, and they're pretty much one note. We kind of think Mandrake might be the dad, or I might be too, because he's kind of sweet on the girl. But even at the point where the story changes and our girl may be in control, that's pretty much all that's said about it, too.
2: How is that a climax? Like, how is her getting on top of these two adults getting run of the house? Like,
3: We saw her do it in the orphanage in half an act that she had it around her finger. So it wasn't any jump of the imagination that she was going to get the better of these two. But it took 60 minutes in that house to get there.
1: And then we also <laughs> saw there's a fourth person in the band who is, I mean, maybe he's just a session dude. But he's just edited out of all the plot sequences But he's there. As a
3: former bass player, I really felt that.
0: <laughs> oh, come on now. People Ouch. still pay you for the pizza when you show up. That's true.
1: <laughs> you know what happens when the drums stop, don't you? <laughs> yeah.
2: I think it's really weird that the titular character is named after her mother's band, which is weird and conceited. And it's kind of like, what if, like, Bono named his kid U2, or, like, Keith <laughs> named his kid The Who? And someone goes, what's your name? The Who? What? No, your name, The Who.
0: <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Beatles McCartney.
2: Yeah, I thought that was very strange. I was just like, all right, these people are making some
0: choices that never even occurred to me to think about but now i just want to keep going i'm like metallica hatfield i had a weird (laughs)
1: feeling about the earwig name thing trying to piece together a little of the japanese i can do karate japanese i can i can count to 10 and like name a martial arts style i don't know very much of it but i could probably like muddle through a food order and i think that that is some kind of pun that is lost on us yeah maybe so it probably doesn't even refer to quite the same bug you know
0: I feel like we need to address, because I know people who've watched a lot of Ghibli films and haven't seen this yet, are like, yeah, but not all the Ghibli films are plot-heavy. Some of them, there's barely any plot at all. And some of those are among some of their best films, like Totoro, and most notably, compared to this, Kiki's Delivery Service, of which this could totally be in the same universe from. It's a little girl wit learning to be a witch. The difference being, everybody's super nice to Kiki all the time, and she has barely any real struggle. It's just fun and charming and delightful, and this one is like... Oh, well, some witches are not so good, but... I think the issue is is that those aren't setting up all these plot elements and then just letting them drop and totally ignoring them. And one of the pleasures of Ghibli films is always what's between the lines, the moments of silence, the ambience that are just so beautiful and work so well. And part of that is because of those hand-drawn cells. It's just gorgeous watching these films. I always think of the scene of Totoro and friends and the little girl standing in the rain at the bus stop and just a very quiet scene You know that's been... Iconic iconic Totoro with his umbrella and it's beautiful. And there's scenes that try to do that here and they just are incapable because this isn't that pretty to look at. It's kind of an eyesore, quite frankly. Everyone is plasticky. The backgrounds have nowhere near the level of detail we're used to from these things. And what you end up with something
2: that is, uh, like I said, a little dull? I'm going to have to agree with you on the Kiki part because Kiki does have to overcome basically an artist block or magic block when she hangs out with the uh, artist chick in the woods. I could really relate to that on a level, being... An artist and going through a spat where you just don't feel it. You can't make anything. So anyways, Mm -hmm. I feel like Kiki definitely had something she had to overcome. It wasn't just a slice of life. And I really agree with y'all on there's a lot of plots that are dropped, like the mother's being chased by a cabal of witches that are mad at her for leaving this band that aren't her bandmates and we never see them they never show back up you think that maybe the evil witches are gonna come and try and take earwig and that doesn't happen like there's a lot of things they just drop and don't do
1: yeah we never we never see a single one of the council of evil witches they're only mentioned and by implication if they are individually scarier than mandrake they're like kaiju you know (laughs) because he literally turns like 20 feet tall at one point
0: yeah, Mandrake is like a human in basically in the flashbacks, but now he is essentially this powerful demon lord who transmutes through walls and has like little demons that do his bidding. And you're like, so what happened there?
2: what i want to know is what's his deal with getting angry when people give him good reviews like he was reading a newspaper and it looked like it was positive information but yeah he was doing this weird like anime thing with like a sweat and angry bubbles and all sorts of weird stuff going on with his forehead
1: i think he didn't like that one because erica wrote it, wrote so much of the book
2: oh okay that
1: he was finally getting good reviews now that he had an editor i think that was the intended joke
3: Irwin gives him notes on his book and he kind of gets the same flustered look on his face and even hits his head on the way out of the doorway
0: it feels like he gets flustered at almost anything this guy clearly has anger management issues (laughs) and that mixed with like all-powerful like
1: thanos infinity glove
0: powers is not a great combination He's pretty flappable.
1: There's a couple times in this, like when she climbs up to the tower roof in the scene, she actually reuses in the notes she gives him. Because in the beginning, when they climb up to the chapel roof and look out over the other kids in their Halloween costumes in the graveyard, that's the scene that she gives Mandrake, except it's just not kids. Yeah, it's her fantasy of what would, as a kid, even in that scene, which is like, wouldn't it be cool if... And there's there's a couple scenes like that where she's like on a high place looking over the countryside or something where for a second it feels like a Miyazaki thing. But I think the branding hurt this because the whole time you're just thinking, wow, this is off the shelf Miyazaki plot. It really hammers home how much like I go to those to consume visual art and treacle some of the music like nostka's pretty high stakes and i guess so is princess, princess mononoke. mononoke but but yeah. yeah and i tried to temper that in myself like am i am i cracking down on this cuz it's for kids and i'm not one comparison killed it for me
0: i kept going i do not want to be disliking this film i was sitting there like i am 100% on your side film i want them to figure out how to do cg i want this to work i'm seeing the elements of miyazaki films that really have worked for me in the past and literally sitting there trying to
1: figure out why aren't they working now and i think we kind of got to why it's an example of why you don't make a peanut butter sandwich but i are taken one slice of bread putting peanut butter on the outside and jelly on the other outside the ingredients are there but the sandwich is not pleasant having tried almost
0: every variety possible that you could do with peanut butter sandwiches i can tell you that yeah it's not as good it's a little sticky <laughs> But let's go to final thoughts. Tessa, why don't you get us started?
2: I really wanted to like this too. The CGI animation didn't really upset me uh, as much as I think everybody else. I played the video game Yinokuni, which they worked on with the Japanese Philharmonic, and so I was kind of already used to seeing, like, Ghibli style in a 3D rendering, so that didn't really bother me, but definitely the pacing of the plot, or lack thereof, and it just kind of plateaued, it never really climaxed, and then it just ended abruptly. There wasn't much payoff, really. There wasn't much character development or growth. So it just kind of was a little unsatisfying, unfortunately. I I really wanted to like it. I guess I'll probably give it four out of 10 Wurlitzers. Bob?
3: Again, I think that that might be the theme. I wanted to like it too. I switched the language because I'm like, oh, clearly they made it for the other side. I got to go by. But that didn't work. I really did kind of get a kick out of the visual style. It looks like they went not photorealistic, but they went realistic with everything except for the skin on the characters. So all their clothes and all the backgrounds and these wide shots, some of the stuff looks pretty good. I thought it lent to the softness of it. It's just that that story is so one note for so long. Like I said, I really felt like it was an unedited version of a 45 minute episode of something. I think the most jarring thing for me too was the music coming from other Miyazaki films. We get a different take on the Pink Panther theme. Then we get some straight Nashville country picking stuff. And then we go to the music that's from the song that has to do with the mom, which is clearly why most of us saw this movie. (laughs) And so I was a little upset by that. So I just think it was all over the place. I'm going to give it five out of five little demons I want to come help me with Postmates because if I could just not even use my phone and speak into the air, that would be pretty cool.
0: That would be pretty cool. That is the Alexa app we all need. The Pink Panther theme rewrite, which was like basically the Pink Panther theme just without the end of it, was driving me up the fucking wall. Like, this is just the Pink Panther theme. What are you doing?
3: Yeah, it was it was
1: unnerving.
0: <laughs> Matt?
1: Same. One thing is that clearly, and however they're developing this property, which I, I maintain the only way they could drop this as it is is if they intend to do more of it. If they're assuming the close on a sequel of some kind. Mm. But clearly music and these characters' previous career as a band, the only soft moment Mordrake has is when he starts talking about the, his private sanctum. When you get into it, when they finally pan through it and show it all it's like a 60s recording studio like he's a diabolical record producer from the 60s (laughs) and and he says some very somber things about the transportive and magical qualities of music and implies that it's part of his magic so it's really like the best stylistic elements of this are really rooted in like the psychedelic rock through line in it they only did one original song and they repeated a lot the earwig LP that earwig has doesn't even appear to have a (laughs) b-side so it's it's one four minute song that is a constant refrain through the movie which Again, it might just be younger skewing, and I might just be like, well, Blue's Clues goes slow. It's a little dog for young kids. But I could not get as into it as I wanted to be, and I really kept thinking, like, boy, some of these shots and setups and stuff, they were hand-drawn. They'd look so cool. In particular, I didn't hate the animation, and if I didn't know, like, the actual animation aspect of it was good. If it wasn't Miyazaki branded, well, I probably wouldn't be looking at it because it would just be a Japanese TV show that never got translated, (laughs) but, but I almost think it hurt it. In particular, the only aspect of it I really didn't like was the facial wild takes, which are literally like... Their rise to the level of humor that you would see in a cutscenes from an N64 Mario game. Their ridiculous out of place facial humor where the person just.
2: Yeah. What was with Bella Yaga making that weird face? Like when she went really cross-eyed.
1: Yeah. Horizontal vertical cross eye.
0: Yeah. The main character is drawn like a villain anytime she has any expression except for contentment. Cause I mean, it doesn't help. She's got like devil horn braids coming up, but she's like the way they draw her with these evil villain arched eyebrows and curved mouth. Was this originally a design for a totally different character? I mean, I get that she's like, I guess, genetically a witch. (laughs) She really does look like she's at any point about to become inescapably evil.
1: The intended trope is that she's the foot stompy princess type, you know? But they wanted to walk her back and have her be ingenious enough and, and scrappy enough to soften that. And it comes across kind of visually mixed. I didn't hate it. And if you had a kid and needed to park your kid in front of something... This is a kid thing you could sit through, which is always valuable. Even the slightest hint of rewatchability is better than nothing. So I would say I give this 6 out of 10 depictions of food that were the low-key best part. That fried bread.
0: I wanted to Mm. eat it. Oh, man, I immediately went to go make some fried bread. Yeah, there's often very delectable images of food in Miyazaki films that make you hungry, and this was no exception. No, 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 no. But it also made me want to clean my garage. <laughs> <coughs> the witch's workroom in here really just looks like everything has started to grow a level of mold on it, and I was just getting OCD twitchy looking at it.
1: I also like the gag with Mandrake's giant room is in a non-dimensional space, because it's a little tiny house from the outside. It's a TARDIS room. The gag where she drew through the wall to try to spy on him and ends up in the bathroom. Those are like cool visual gags and then turning the evil worms into gummy worms like that That stuff's all funny.
0: There are moments that are kind of delightful here like that but nothing ever really congeals into what feels like a movie. If this had been sold like yeah this is just the first episode of a series I would have been a little more like okay yeah obviously because you couldn't just put this out by itself but they did and they don't as far as I know have any intention of continuing this into a series so what the fuck? <laughs> (laughs) It's almost absurd the degree to which this feels half-assed in that fashion plotting. And like I said, leave the CGB. It's not for you. It's just not for you. You're known literally more than anything for your gorgeous, painstakingly drawn, hand-drawn animations. Go to that. That is your selling point. Stick with it. That'd be like if Marvel goes, you know, we're still doing Marvel films, but we're not putting superheroes in them anymore. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) That makes no sense. It makes no sense for Ghibli to be doing a CG film. And I think this was the proof in the pudding. This was the test that came out and proved the negative. So I didn't overall like this all that much. I've rewatched almost every... Studio Ghibli film, I probably won't rewatch this one. There was a lot of just little annoying things about it that offset the things that I did like about it enough where just not much interested in coming back to it. It did make me want to go back and rewatch Kiki's Delivery Service, which I totally and unashamedly love, but I'm going to give this four and a half out of ten a surprisingly innocuous Witch's Spellbooks. There was almost nothing past lightly mischievous in there. Kind of
2: shitty spellbook is yeah. that? Other than raining worms on somebody.
0: I mean that's just sort of a
1: staple for which is spellbooks, I guess.
2: Like the other was ruining a church feat? What was a feat?
1: Fet is like a party you throw. Yeah, fet is the pronunciation, I
3: believe. They said feet in the film for sure.
1: <laughs> and it's archaic. It's like Victorian when you when you're hosting a salon or something, you're throwing a fate. <laughs>
0: we just there we did it balloons dropped down someone finally said hosting a salon
1: on one of us
2: (laughs) congratulations matt you're Ah! our big winner i said the magic
1: word